From the fabulous WSUM Madison Studios, it's Do It Live, hosted by the Do It Geeks. Today's topic is SOAR, Student Orientation Advising and Registration, how we get all of the new students in and ready and registered for classes. Joining us in studio, from the Center for the First Year Experience, Ren Singer. Along with our regular geeks, Ty Christian, Teresa Saldana, and Adam Wiesenfarth. And now, broadcasting live and local on 91.7 FM and streaming worldwide on WSUM.org, please help me welcome my co-host, Ty Christian. Hey, 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 hey. Let's do it live. And we're doing it live on WSUM, the most connected radio show on the planet. Where we will talk tech here for this wonderful, wonderful hour and this wonderful day in this wonderful week. How's it going, Adam? It's going excellent, Ty. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing wonderful. And Teresa, I didn't preface that already. That's right, Teresa. <laughs> I'm doing great. Hey, excellent. Thanks so much for coming and joining us, folks. We really love to have you here on 91.7 FM WSUM and streaming online at WSUM.org. Feel free to check out our podcast too at doit.wist.edu slash radio. We've got all of them up there uh, available anytime you want and just listen at your leisure. Yeah, if you need your Do It Live fix, you got it at any time. That's right. Yeah. So, folks, uh, we're, we're having a great day today. We're going to be talking with Ren Singer shortly. She's from the Center for First Year Experience and talking all about the new incoming set of students who are going to be starting in the fall and all of the services available to them and how technology has changed that program dramatically. But uh, first off, we're going to, as always, start with the news. The news with Teresa Saldana. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> okay, so the first thing I, I wanted to talk about, uh, which I suppose could be related to SOAR with parents uh, planning their trip down to Madison, is a website that it's at befrugal.com that allows you to calculate uh, costs for either driving or flying to a location. Oh. oh. So it configures in um, your drive to the airport. If you have, I suppose you can tell it if you need to get a taxi or not, or if you're going to keep your car there. So then you also add in the, the cost of the flight and then, you know, compare that against you taking your own car and driving out there, but it'll also configure, do you need to stay overnight somewhere? Mm -hmm. So the cost of a hotel. So you have it all laid out for you, and you which will be the best choice. And you can find out monetarily, which is the best choice. Right, and which one might be best for your sanity. Is there a checkbox for like crashing on your couch, bro? <laughs> for that? There's um, <laughs> maybe. No, there was someone that was just telling me about a website where you can find someone's couch to crash Really? On. Couch surfing? It, it, what is it? Couch, couch surfing? surfing, I'm going to guess. Yes. Yes. Oh I just heard about that for the first time ever. Yes, I'm, right. I'm going to look this up right you now. You need to look this up. <laughs> couch wow. surfing. Yeah, as as, as wow. Sandy is saying, it's probably big in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> right. no, 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 Ty, that's for d donating couches, I think. That's not for actually. <laughs> okay, couch so couchsurfing.org <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> well done, Ty. No, no, it is. It's, this is actually what it is. Uh, uh, really? Couchsurfing.org is uh, is the website that you're talking oh, about. Oh, it is. Where you can, it's a worldwide network for making <laughs> connections between travelers and the local communities that they visit, Excellent. also known as a free place to stay. 
So, oh, that's funny. That's yeah. Great. I don't know. It'd be kind of weird hooking that up over the internet, though, because you never know if you're couch surfing in like a strange person's couch. You know? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's this crazy guy named Ty offered me a crash on his couch. <laughs> walked in, and there's vampires hanging. Don't go anywhere near death it. Metal posters I'll, everywhere. I hope you like cats. I got fifty of them. <laughs> <laughs> this one's named Tina. This one's named Purses. It's, you know, it's like. Oh so no! So that might be what you run into if you decide to couch surf. But if you like fifty cats, I would recommend checking out couchsurfing.org. <laughs> all right. It, it looks like it goes all over the world. Yep. That's so excellent. That's really neat. You could Dude. meet a lot of different people. Yeah, and their couches. And their, and their couches. Cats. <laughs> and their cats. Oh jeez. I wonder if you can. I wonder if you can uh, like filter this by number of cats they have. So parents, for sore, we do not advise looking for couches to stay on. I do. Hey, y'all, I got a, I got a flash update from our, our show last week. Dun, we, were, dun, dun. we were talking about networking, and we were talking with Bill and Paul and Dan, and they were talking about fiber optics, and we were talking about different colors of light, but there's new research out of folks from England, Germany, and Switzerland, and Israel who are saying that they have broken the data transmission record from a single light source through you know, a piece of fiber. And they're basically pushing through 26 terabits wow. of data per okay. second. So how much is that really? Break it's, it down for us. Oh, man. Um, if I wanted to watch a home, 1080p a video stream, yeah. how many 1080p video streams would that be? Not quite 35,000. Wow. 35,000. An uncompressed 1080p. So that well, we should, obviously. We should clarify a little what bit. What do you watch in 1080p? In? <laughs> well, if you're watching it on cable or satellite, you are getting compressed television. I know. Yeah, it, the the amount of data that it takes to make a, a picture of high def, which is nineteen twenty by ten eighty pixels, so it's about two million pixels. It's an amazing amount of data. It's actually seven hundred and fifty megabytes per second, or megabits per second. I'm sorry. Um, there's an eightfold difference between those. A lot of data. It's a lot of data. So, but this, they're trying to. The other comparison, which was made in this article from the Register, is that you could fit the entire contents of the Library of Congress through this pipe in ten seconds. Oh my goodness! That's incredible. Ten seconds. And what they're doing, which is different, because we were talking about having different colors of light last week. What these folks do is they take one laser and then they split out that light into three hundred different signals. And then use those signals, shove them down the pipe, put them back together, and that's how they got all this data through. And in 50 years, we'll all each have that in our house. Yeah. Hopefully. We hope. <laughs> Along with 3D projection TVs. and I got to get my movies faster. Yeah. Faster. <laughs> I got to get, I have to watch 34,000 movies. Well, I think I read the right other now. day that Simultaneously. What, Netflix is now 40% of internet traffic yeah, well, in the we US. We were talking about that last, yeah, last week, uh, actually. Uh, at peak times, 30% of internet downstream traffic comes from Netflix. Which Second is, only to BitTorrent. BitTorrent, which means that there are more people getting media legitimately, or at least more bits of media being gotten legitimately than illegitimate, illegitimately right now, which, <laughs> illegitimate. Is, right. which is a switch. This is actually mm -hmm. kind of different because what it's proven is that Netflix, with a service that's easy to use, that's works, mm -hmm. that's reasonably priced, can get people to consume their content legally, which is really a great thing. So... Well, that's the thing I was always thinking of when, you know, uh, back I was, uh, we'll just say I was torrenting Linux ISOs because that's legal. But, you know, back, back when I was torrenting Linux ISOs, I was always yes. thinking to myself, gosh, if someone were to, you know, say put these Linux ISOs up 
uh, on a service that'd be very easy to use, I, I would do, I would just pay for that. Yeah. Right. Well, if I could just have it at my fingertips, I wouldn't have to worry about downloading. If I could just click, you know, play now on this Linux device. Because then, I would, you, <laughs> because just, then the the quality is really nice. Mm-hmm. Depending on how much bandwidth you have. Right. But it, what I'm saying is it can be. Yeah. You pay for decent internet. I mean, that's got to be a given. Whenever you're downloading anything, you have to have a decent internet connection. Uh, but just the ease of use, um, you can search for things quickly. You know that what you're downloading is what you're going to get. Um, and it's it's great. I use it. I use it all the time. Yeah. Speaking earlier to the uh, news story about parents coming down to SOAR and figuring out cars and stuff, I saw something recently uh, where they are going to be implementing black box technology for new cars that come out. Oh, really? Meaning that uh, it's going to have a, a recording, like a tiny re- recording computer that you can't turn off that's going to record um, inputs on, say, uh, like if you got into a crash, it would mm-hmm. record the speed you were going, the, you know, did the airbags deploy, did this happen, did that happen, did you turn left or right, that kind of stuff, to be used for like uh, local law enforce- enforcement and that kind of stuff. Really? Yeah. And yeah. is this something coming to the states or is this elsewhere? Uh, it's it didn't specify the news story, but it just said that the n- the newer round of cars they're thinking about uh, adding in that technology. Um, will the United States pass a law to say that you have to have it? I don't know because I know that uh, I had a car crash a couple of years ago and airbags went off, and I know that. The car does store a short amount of data, maybe only about five or ten seconds, but it does have the ability because the newer cars that have computers and everything's mm-hmm. computer controlled to find out if you were hitting the brake, if your seatbelt was engaged, and it has all these parameters. So you can actually do that to a certain extent, but not in in the way of a black box where it's doing it for an extended period of time. Right, and what they're saying is that that would be something that would be implemented the cars and it's something that would not be an option you couldn't turn it off it would just yeah, be there I'm, I'm not in favor of now that. is it is it something that because i'm not sure exactly how it works in planes is it something that they they recovered the data once the accident is happened or is it something that um no, they constantly recover, transmits no 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 they, they would be recovering the data once once the accident happened it'd be more okay. just for um It'd be more just for like uh, if you got into an accident and the police had to figure out who was okay. at fault. Yeah. Okay, that kind I of could, thing. I could see folks being worried about that data being transferred back, perhaps wirelessly, or when they go in to get their gas tank filled. That information being taken off of their car, so that I mean, no one wants to have their I guess their their driving practices monitored like that to know when they were speeding or where they were. I mean, location tracking, we were talking about that with the iPhone. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we certainly don't, we wouldn't want that. Yeah, the, the article's in Wired if people want to read more about it. It's going to be, I think it's going to be coming out in this next month's Wired, but it's up on the Wired the Wired uh, website right now, which is wired.com. Now, there are some people sort of voluntarily doing this, mm. and it's actually to get lower car insurance rates. I yeah. don't know if you've oh. seen this. The, the new progressive thing, the snapshot thing that they're That's putting in their cars? what it is, yeah. yeah. And, and so I know it's not only... Exactly? So there's uh, certain companies, I'm pretty sure all the insurance companies are probably doing this by now, but you can mm. get a little GPS tracker homer mm-hmm. deal mm-hmm. that you put on your car, and they sort of analyze your driving habits. And if you drive safely quote-unquote, then they lower your rates. And that's that's kind of the thing, is if you don't speed excessively, if you don't do crazy things with mm-hmm. your car, you supposedly can get a cheaper rate on car insurance. 
Now, does that do anything for you um, if you get into if you do get into an accident? When, you t- when we talk about uh, with insurance, who's at fault? Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you were driving the speed limit, but the impact says that some, you know, that clearly the other car hit you at a much higher speed, that that is some kind of defense for you. Yeah. Well, we're not lawyers, so we can't tell you if that's well, that defense would, or not. I think not. that would be neat, though, because, you know, when you get into an accident, the first thing you think of is, oh, who's going to pay for this? Is oh, yeah. it going to be me or the other yeah. guy based on my word versus his? So that'd be kind of neat. We, we don't encourage you to go to any particular insurance company, but if you drive a car, you do need insurance. So I think the only question here is how long until my car just drives me to work Oh, God. I'm waiting for that. I've been waiting for that forever. Wouldn't that be nice, huh? Uh, I'm going to be like 79 and on my deathbed, and they're going to come out with it, and I'm just going to be like, damn it. Why (laughs) didn't you do it earlier? But, Ty, that'll be the perfect time when you can't drive yourself. You'll just say, Sonny, get me one of those cars, and I'll I'll drive myself. I think Uh, it's going to be another minority report thing where... It's the cars that are on tracks, basically, and you tell the car where to go, and based on those tracks, it can it can hop lanes. Tracks in the road. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I, no, because I because I've always wondered what would so be the technology like that railroad, takes a car. Railroad tracks instead of uh, they have a, a, similar they, to railroad tracks. They have a they have this technology um, on certain. I, I saw a report on it. Is in certain um, highways in Europe, they have like a car to car. Technology where they have basically things that are uh, buried in the pavement. See, that's that's what I thought. Like you, you put, you know, like yeah. every ten feet, you put an RFID tag in the middle of the road. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then oh. what they do is they have the car, these cars that can communicate kind of to each other, and then they're they're literally like literally bumper to bumper, and they just drive at a constant speed, and they they just uh, they check these these signals every yeah every ten feet or whatnot, and and they're just literally bumper to bumper for you know stretch of. I don't know, 50 miles or whatever. Man, wow. could you imagine the computing power needed to oh. control the traffic in this country? The, but this is the thing, is we're now here in 2011, and we have computing power by the boatload. True. I mean, there's, yeah. and, and, True. It, and it's portable. It's in my pocket. I got two computers in my pocket right now because wow. I have two iPod touches in my pocket. But then, but then <laughs> the next question, which would be one that would my, nine, my nine-year-old son would ask was, when does Skynet start? <laughs> yeah. What didn't? Uh, according to the prophecy, Skynet already started. Didn't it? No, no, yeah, no. One the, of the, the dates been moved days. back. So sorry. The the actual end of the world is October twenty first. Oh. Just in case oh, you hadn't heard. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> that that thing that was so. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> but until then, you're listening to Do It Live right here on ninety one seven FM, WSUM, and and feel free to even after uh, things might or might not happen, go on our website at doit.wistudy.edu slash radio. Listen to our podcast. Check us out. Yep. Getting some lovely studios of us. Matt Rock's in here doing with news with us. Our on hey, on air producer. And uh, we're for all of us that are left behind. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we're I, yes. Go ahead. Tom. I got another. I got another news story. I'm here. sure this you is, do. Go this for is it. Crazy. Sony forecasts a 3.1 billion with a B billion dollar loss for fiscal year 2011 due to the uh, Japanese earthquake and the PlayStation Network failure. 3.1 
billion dollars. Yeah, yeah that's they, a lot. Well, they also had some fancy accounting tricks they had to do and, and stuff with taxes. But again, we're not accountants. Uh, we'll disclaim all of this later. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I saw a figure. I've seen figures anywhere between 170 million and a billion plus dollars that it's going to cost Sony because of this hack, which is now apparently the largest loss of consumer data that's been reported and recorded. Oh wow! 102 million people had their uh, data lost and subsequently uh, their Greek website has been hacked yeah I just saw that that, that came out and they, they well. also tried to put up part of the PlayStation network and <clears throat> the password reset all you needed was something like your birth date and something else that was part of all the data that was stolen. Oh no! Uh, so that was kind of unfortunate. So they had to take that back. Now they're going to need like birth date and DNA sample and mother's maiden name. And, and, and that, that's a really facial good, scanner. That's a good point. You know, if all of your data gets compromised, how are you going to prove to these people that you are you? Right. And that this is your account. You'd almost have mm-hmm. to go in person with like a photo ID or yeah. something like that. It's uh, it's going to be a very big problem coming up down the road. And and the one thing that I've also read is. It's kind of open season on the Sony network right now because there's just sort of the poster child for large corporations that are not totally secure. Now, let's be clear, more than two-thirds of the um, computers that are out there on the public Internet and another piece of news that I saw have some sort of vulnerability, at least two-thirds, more like three-quarters probably. Oh, sure. sure. And so we don't want to single out Sony and say that it's bad, but the problem is is that since they've gotten so much publicity, they are now a giant target. Oh, yeah. Their security and network folks, I'm sure, are pulling out what few remaining heads and pieces of hair that they have left. (laughs) Yeah. This um, will certainly, I think, help to redefine how we handle security online. When you guys were talking about SOAR before, the one th- that the one thought that I potted, popped into my mind was um, conveying to new students just how critical their net ID is and, and password oh, and yeah. password and how much and how much that does follow you through your career and and how just something as simple as as changing your password once a semester or something like that can just inoculate you from so many things. Oh, yeah. But taking that a step further with what you just said about, you know, Internet ID and Internet identity being such an issue, something that I've always, always wanted to ask Mr. Leanweber here on campus, the guy that does a lot of the security and, and stuff like that who, you know, on the forums really seems to be at the forefront of all this, is it conceivable that the federal government could take and provide single sign-on identity for us as as a successor to the social security number. Mm. The, but this is a you know the the question then becomes if you have one standard, then you only have one standard to hack or to yeah. get around. Yeah. That's true. And too. this was kind of one true. of the things that came up when we were going to look at a national driver's license and trying to put security features into that. Part of the the nice thing about having different states and different driver's licenses is that they're all different. And Mm -hmm. they all have a little variation on how theirs is unique and what it's made out of and what the, you know, hologram looks like and all that sort of stuff. Which I'm sure bouncers just hate. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure they do. But at the same time, if you have a universal standard, then there's only one thing to hack. There's only one thing to get around. And the problem then becomes if you have a universal sign on that the government controls, what happens when the government gets hacked? 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's <laughs> then the government's business to not be happy. That's right. I mean, that's I mean, true. there's 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 one entity that exists that we already trust with our private with our private information, that's and that's true. the entity that that we control ourselves as citizens. That's true. Yeah, so, absolutely. and that's and that was really the only path that brought me to that thought was, mm-hmm. you know, is is you know, this is this is certainly something that you have to. That it, we're getting to a point we have to trust with someone. Yeah, that's and, right. And and. And I is, will. It, I will always inherently have a problem with trusting my security certificates to a private company, and yeah. if and you know, and as as a as a federal or as a educational institution, you know, do it already provides us with certificates if we need, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. But as an individual, what are our options? Yeah. Well, and we should say it is a government of by and for the people, right? Exactly. So exactly. That's in the that's end one of the great things about living here in the U.S. And, and that kind of sort of brings me to my last story here, Ooh. which I want to say. It's not we, exploding we, iPads, is no, it? No, it's not exploding iPads, and, and iPads don't explode, folks. Just the uh, the company in China <laughs> who makes the iPads had a fire and explosion in one of their plants over the week, so that's what we're talking about oh. in through here, which is not good because there aren't as many iPad 2s as we'd like, so. <laughs> or at least as the country was lo- would like, <laughs> but because uh, there's an insati- insatiable appetite for them. We Apparently. have a tough time keeping them in stock. You'd so. think you could eat them, but, how people are buying them. Yeah. So we usually do awesome lame. What? You can't there is eat, something eat. the iPad can't do, and Wh- it's be edible. Oh. Oh. <laughs> nice. So we usually play awesome or lame, and we always talk about stuff that's awesome, and I want to talk about something that I find to be lame. Uh-oh. And uh, that would be the job promotion or, or movement of uh, a woman named Meredith Atwell Baker. And she used to work for the FCC. She was, in fact, the commissioner of the FCC. The Federal Communications, Communications Commission, Commission. Who oversees this lovely radio station mm-hmm. and anything that's broadcast over the airwaves generally to folks. They're the ones that bleep out all the swear words, too. And levy large fines, if we say naughty words. Yep. And recently, there has been a merger between Comcast and NBC Universal Entertainment, which was pretty heated because Comcast is a very, very large cable company here in the United States. And... Uh, NBC is one of the major networks and thus a content provider. And there was a lot of question over whether this merger would happen because then the content providers would be feeding the content distribution mechanism directly and then perhaps giving Comcast would give NBC stuff priority sure. over something else. Conveniently, after this merger actually happened with the blessing of the FCC, Ms. Baker is now the uh, basically their chief lobbyist. And it happened, what, four months after after the merger went through? Yeah, pretty much. That was fast. And it, it, it's just <laughs> really... A little too convenient. It's way too convenient. And it, it sort of points to one of my issues with the government these days is that they're willing to bend to large corporations, usually because the large corporations are going to contribute some dollars to whomever is in government. Right. And, and there's just too... too it's too buddy-buddy. And it, it, the government is there to try and look out, again, for the people. And I don't know that necessarily having all of these corporations merge together to have one or two giant media conglomerates that control most everything in this country is the way to go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's another thing that was interesting with uh, kind of along the same lines when people brought up net neutrality recently. There was a lot of uh, government, uh, there was a lot of discussion in government about about you know should these should we have these large uh, 
internet corporations be able to specify, okay, you know, this content goes faster, this content goes slower. So, yeah, I, it's it's just a big ball of wax. I mean, what do you guys what do you guys think about that? Uh, I I already had my two cents. I don't know, Matt Rock. <laughs> I I stand by the openness of the internet at all costs. Oh yeah. I think that well, I, I just had this conversation this weekend, actually, with my wife. Um, we were talking about how growing up in the 70s and 80s, I really, really envisioned myself in the second decade of the 21st century to be in a place where I could be working on a space station doing some really awesome fiber optics <laughs> next to people from Tibet and Australia and, and the world over, that that it would be a common play, playing field for everybody. And... and you know, it, it all keeps coming back to net neutrality. Got to keep the packets free yeah. and yeah. flowing. Um, but I, but by the same token, I also believe it's really, really, really important to recognize that we wouldn't have silicon chips and we wouldn't have technology on the scale that we have without large com- com- companies and it, that it, aggregation of wealth to put into the R and D. It is true. Yes, um, and just big catch twenty two. It is, and, and we want to just. Be clear, Miss um, Baker. She is now the. Let's see here. Sorry, I just had it. Uh, she is the head of government relations operations at NBC <laughs> Universal, which means she's the chief lobbyist and can lobby Congress immediately. Meaning she's looking for new property up in Connecticut, All right? Boy, and and she was when when this was going through. She was uh, when she was the chair, the FCC chair. Mm-hmm. She was pushing pretty hard for this merger. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the big kind of red flag when mm-hmm. she jumped ship over to, over to Comcast NBC. Mm-hmm. So it's no good. Shame that is lame. <laughs> shame, shame, lame. All right. Well, um, we have arrived at that portion of the show where we take a break. So we will be back right after this. Well, 
is back to do it live. And we're here talking about SOAR, Summer Orientation Advising, excuse me, student. Yeah, I was, I was wondering. I, I never knew exactly what it, what it, stand, what it stood for. You know? Yeah, I just made something up. Uh, <laughs> sweet Orientation and Radishes. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds about I didn't right. have any radishes. I, so. I know it's changed over False the advertising. years. But, uh. <laughs> it used to be summer, but now it's not just in the summer. It's done um, in January, oh, too. Oh, that's true. For new students that start then. So it's one name for all the times. Yeah, folks, that's Ren Singer. She is with the Center for the First Year Experience. You're the director of the Center for First Year Experience. Excellent. And she's here in studio with us. Can you tell us a little bit about what SOAR is and what its mission is and all that sort of stuff? Well, sure. Um, SOAR, as we just said, stands for Student Orientation, Advising, and Registration. And it's the a new freshman or transfer student's first real experience with the university. So they come here for two days for a new freshman and one day if they're a new transfer student. And they meet with advisors, they meet with staff, they meet with faculty, and they, most importantly to them and to us, enroll in their first semester courses. Ooh. I remember back when I was in SOAR and I enrolled in my first semester course, it gave me a little tingly feeling. Oh, yeah? I'm a college student. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what we hope for, yeah. tingly feeling. Yeah. It was really cool. <laughs> so that's the registration part of it. Right, and the advising and orientation part are really related mostly to the registration part, getting students ready to register that first time. It's not an, as easy as, a, as you might think to register that first time. And, and oh, sorry, I did want to talk about registration a bit because it's changed a lot over the years, and, and I just want to go, we'll start at the early beginnings. I've heard tale of people having to take pieces of paper mm-hmm. and walk around campus to various buildings what? and actually go yeah. to each individual department to have to register for classes. And that you'd have to stake out oh, wow. if, you wanted, if you really wanted a class, maybe like in the Japanese department, you'd start out at Van Heist and then go to your other ones. <laughs> Whoa. And be running around trying to get your classes. Oh, man. Th- th- yeah, I think anyone who's older than 40 or 41, mm-hmm. that's how they did it. And they they have a lot of pride in that, sort of like the oh, yes. from you know having done that. Oh yeah, I beat up three other store students <laughs> back in my day. Right. I got into that class. <laughs> and, and then the next phase was the touch tone lady. The touch. I was going to say that was my yes, time was in my school. Time was too. the touch tone lady, and I would run out of class and find a phone and try and get right. that class that I needed. And so, so it's sore. Wow. They didn't actually register. At that point, they just planned for registration, and then they did the Touchtone Lady later. But then, a couple years after that, we were able to bring the Touchtone Lady to SOAR, so the students actually did their enrollment right there. Yeah. And then it went to web registration maybe seven, eight years ago. Yeah, right. probably and like 2000, what it is 2003. Yeah, so. yeah so and wait. that would be Ty and I. Yeah, so that's what we that's both what you did. Remember. Going back to the Touchtone Lady, how did that actually Work to do, like you called up a number and it's like for Japanese department press five oh three. Well, you had the timetables. Uh, well, with yeah, the, the web timetable. <laughs> no, no, no. This the printed timetable. I've oh, no. seen it. I've seen a printed timetable. I've never seen. I've never it. used. It's like a it. mythical beast. It was very handy, actually. There's something fun about having a book in front of you to browse through. You know, that's different right. than a web. But right, you'd look at the printed timetable. Each course had a number, as it still does. Mm-hmm. Five-digit number. Then you'd have to enter your ID in, your password, then that number. And then she would say it's closed or the course has been added. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now students know whether a course is closed before they try to add it. But in the Touchtone Lady days, you didn't know until oh, you heard wow. her say, "Oh yeah, absolutely, that course is closed." Yeah, and and I was sort of on the cusp of this because they were starting to do stuff online in the registrar's office where they had the enrollments and you could see if there were some seats left, but you still had to register on the phone. Yeah, and that was in you know late nineties or mm-hmm. so. Mm. So now the students have a lot of information, and I think in some ways there's just too much information because they're paralyzed by all of the information that they have in there's, front of them. At there's store. too much choice. There's, I think there's a lot of choice, and for many students it's too much choice. They just want to be told, please just tell me what to take. When you come from, an, from a high school environment where it's very laid out, exactly, mm-hmm. and then you go to a college environment where it's so open, you could take anything, you could right. take any classes, they don't even have to be in your major. It's, right. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's a lot of decisions that you have to make, and that must so be very difficult. students really ex- experience, I think, a c- considerable amount of stress at SOAR. I don't know if you two remember that oh, feeling. I remember because I, I went to, I think it was, I was in cross college advising okay. because I wanted to do more than one major. Right. And the advisor was telling all of us, you know, take, take what interests you. You have time. But in my later years, I realized I, that advice actually didn't work for me mm-hmm. because you don't have as much time as you think because time does equal money with mm-hmm. tuition. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish I had just stuck to more of my core requirements and just thought about what I wanted to do as opposed to just taking random things that aren't filling requirements. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and so that that's all about the advising part. And so what happens is students actually meet with real people, mm-hmm. discuss what they might like to do, mm-hmm. and then they come up with a plan for how to yep. at least get started on that path. They can choose from 10 different advising offices that are present at SOAR um, that represent the schools and colleges as well as cross college which you went to right um and in each of the school college advising programs they do things a little bit differently but the general plan is to learn about the school and college learn about the degree requirements look at different courses and then narrow it down to what you want to enroll in it's a labor-intensive process we have to do that for 180 students a day for about three months straight and so we have lots of staff and lots of students that work at SOAR, lots of preparation, lots of troubleshooting, lots of interesting. You see the whole sort of scheme of humanity when you're working at SOAR. You know? <laughs> From the people that everything's cool and they can handle anything to the people that melt down completely. And this is a really traumatic oh, wow. experience. I'm so, sure you've had people like laughing and crying. And, and Yeah, there's some crying and oh there's boy. some laughing. And, you know, it's, it's a... It's a milestone kind of moment in people's lives. They mm-hmm. may not remember too much about what happens at SOAR, but everyone remembers SOAR. So we are a technology talk show. Let's talk a bit about how the technology has changed. We were talking about registration, and I'm sure that's a huge part of it. But now you also have email. You can give folk, and people get a net ID as soon as they apply. Yeah, and uh, so you have connected students. What does that do for your you know, job? It's, so technology helps in that it saves us money and it brings a lot more resources into the SOAR advising room because anything on the internet is available. It also overwhelms and it also makes it more difficult to reach the parents. Yeah, and you're also kind of trying to spread your message out through more avenues, right. which makes it harder for you all to make all those messages as yeah, effective as possible. that's true, and make sure they're all consistent and they all roll out in the right mm-hmm. order. So it's a, it's a continuous balance, and we've actually shifted. We went further down the path of all electronic and then shifted back a little bit to some paper resources because of feedback and how it was working. I see. And I have to say, we at the tech store, we send out postcards to SOAR students and there parents. There you go. 
And we find that that is, in fact, a very effective way, yeah. even if it is pretty old school technology. Yeah, I mean, the, right. people are not getting a whole lot of actual mail now, so mail stands out. And maybe, well, maybe in 30 years, it's gonna, we're going to have to switch back over to all electronic. Right. <laughs> once the, you know, once this uh, generation becomes parents and that kind of stuff. Hey, yeah. hey the, right. the glasses, the sunglasses with the neon sides are back. So everything old is new again. Oh, yes. really? Oh. 80s sunglasses. Oh, yes, yes. They, are, they are back. I, oh, can, I can finally open that old drawer of 80s stuff and put on my, uh, uh, what is like the zebra print pants and, you know, no problem. Are you kidding me? You were like three. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, maybe they'll still fit. They'll be zebra print shorts now, right? <laughs> so let's talk about the parents. They're an integral part of yeah. the program as well, right? Yeah, we have a whole program just for the parents. So SOAR has two tracks, students and parents. They're together for parts of it. They're separate for a lot of it. Right. Um, and over the years, the, the parent needs have really changed. In the earlier years, um, parents really needed information because they didn't have other ways of getting information. There was no Internet years ago and, and, now, and you didn't want to spend hours on the phone calling up parents, everybody right. yeah. yeah that would have been a little bit inefficient. <laughs> um, so the parent program at this point really needs to be focused more on talking to parents about parenting and how it's different <gasps> to parent a college student than a high school student oh that's Whoa. a very good point actually because they're not local and they're not local and right. there should be some beginning of separation and adulthood happening here and the parents and students generally are very close their relationships are very close they're best friends in some cases they talk or text or facebook multiple times a day and so our efforts in our parent part of soar are to help them figure out what the right role is so that the student their child can actually begin becoming an adult right. while in college mm -hmm. i think it used to be sort of expected that when you came to college that's when you became an adult I think things are, are quite different than that now. Yeah, that's really interesting because recently I've been hearing a lot about the quote-unquote helicopter parents, right. you know, those yeah. types of parents that will actually, in some extreme cases, even go to job interviews with their kids. And Yeah, I mean, I, we definitely see a lot of that. I think most of them have very good intentions, and they're just very involved in their children's mm -hmm. lives and want to make sure things are going well. And they think of these people as children. And mm -hmm. so... If they were thinking of them more as an adult, they may change how they're interacting. And, and it's not like at 18 there's some magic switch that flips that says that you're right. an adult. Right. But at the same time, let me get you up to date here. It's not helicopter parents anymore. What? They're Velcro, Velcro parents. Oh, Velcro. that's the new term. They are stuck Sticking. to their students. That's interesting. And, that, and you know, from, from our perspective working in technology, we know that there, there has to be uh, some separation because for legal reasons through the university – the parents cannot have access to right. certain things that the students have, or they cannot speak on their child's behalf right. for certain things. So we have to tell them, no, you, in fact, cannot reset your child's NetID password. We actually need to talk to your child because it is a legal agreement between us and them. Right. And we talk to the parents. That's FERPA, the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, that mm -hmm. limits access of information to any third parties, including parents. We explain all of that to parents at SOAR. They, for many of them, it's the first time they've heard of that concept. But, you know, I think parents have a really important role to play in the lives of a first-year student as a coach, kind of as mm -hmm. a mentor, as someone to bounce things off of. And, you know, that's the kind of role I hope parents would play. No longer the daily manager of the life, but more of a, a mentor. Anyone who has a good mentor knows how val valuable that is. Because you're in this transition as a college student. Right. And to take on all of these new roles and responsibilities can be very overwhelming mm -hmm. at times. Yeah. And, and I think that 
really students should look to their parents to try and, and be that source of wisdom. Yep. And, and, and guidance. support and mm-hmm. coaching, but not the one who makes the phone call to the professor to complain about the grade. You know, you, there's a continuum and that you've gone too far. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as your students want freedom, parents, remember, they still do need you. Absolutely. <laughs> Abs- yes, they do. Right. I, f- I feel kind of lucky with my parents that they, when I signed up to go to school here, I applied on my own and I got in and then they brought me to SOAR and I, I signed up for my classes and then and then they left me here and it was for me <laughs> to figure out. With what $20 I- and they're like, good luck, kid. <laughs> you got in four years. They, they left me to figure it out on my own. And I think in a, and through most of my high school years, I picked out the classes I wanted to do and I told them what I was doing, but they let me make those decisions on my own. And so when I came to college, it seemed logical to me to make those same choices again and decide you know, what I was going to do mm-hmm. while I was here. And I think that was for the best, honestly, because so, I didn't feel like I was doing what they wanted me to do. Yeah, so you were on the cool customer end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we'd hope for, what you just described. And there are plenty of families that are like that, um, but fewer than there used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of parents that have very clear ideas about what they want the student to major in, what courses they want them to take, what career they want them to have. Mm. And that adds to the stress that the students experience yeah. during the SOAR day. And I think that was one of the great things or in my experience about college that I got to try all of these different things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the smorgasbord of classes uh, that we were saying you have too much choice. And that lets you sort of figure out what you really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't figure out for sure what it is, but at least you get exposed to all of that stuff. Right. And you, you explore for a certain amount of time and then you focus in so that you can finish in a, t- in a timely right. way. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the advice that we're providing at SOAR is you need to explore and decide. Sure. Um, and that your major doesn't necessarily equal your career. I mean, I'm guessing if we went around the room here and talked about our majors, <laughs> oh, whatever yeah. you're doing. Yeah, is you're going to prob- be about yeah. one for three. And, and that's yeah. okay. You know, we laugh about that. Like we all picked these ridiculous majors. that don't. <laughs> but we didn't. We picked majors that prepared us to do lots of different things. Yeah. And now we're doing those things. And there isn't just one path to success, nor is there one type of one thing that defines success. That's another thing that's interesting. I I feel over the years in the days of of your, (laughs) you know, (laughs) going to college and getting a degree, you could get a degree in just about anything and and you could go out and work at just about anything because they assumed that they would train you. And now it it seems like today uh, things have become so specialized where uh, people expect you to have such and such a degree. I, I, I suppose back in the day, it was sh- a degree showed that you could learn, you know, something, and, yeah, and, and now I it's more that, that specific things. In so, I think you're right in some areas, and in other areas, the whole all the liberal arts majors. That's still the philosophy of them, and many companies indicate that they are hiring liberal arts majors because those are the kind of people that can think and write and talk and do a lot of variety of things. I mean, they always say the jobs that you guys are going to have 10 years from now don't exist today. Mm -hmm. So how can we be preparing you for something specific unless you want to be a nurse or a pharmacist? And those are really good career choices, but if only if that's what you want, you know? So Rensinger with us with the Center for First Year Experience. And and what else do you do at the Center for First Year Experience? We do lots of different things. Um, We're focused on the entire first year of college, so SOAR is just the first step. Another important thing for people at SOAR to remember, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't all have to begin and end here. There's still time. It's only two days after all. It's only two days. That's kind of the way I looked at it, but I'm... Yeah, I mean, this, I don't know when you you went to SOAR, but this whole first year philosophy is maybe five years old. Um, Uh So we also plan and implement events during Wisconsin Welcome, which is the first weeks that students are on campus, we um, have a seminar course, a one-credit seminar that we coordinate for new students that um, 
really helps them get up to speed more quickly on what it's like to be a college student. Oh. Um, and the students that take it really say things like, wow, I wish every, I think everyone should take this because we really all need this kind of figure out how to really communicate with a professor, figure out how to read, figure out how to figure out what you want to do, you know, all these things that freshmen don't really know how to do. So our, our office coordinates many sections of that seminar. And then the other thing that we do is less direct, but we work a lot with graduate students, TAs, faculty, and other staff to better prepare them to work with first-year students in whatever environment they're in. I mean, anyone who remembers their first year, the TA has a lot, a big role in that mm-hmm. first year. Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and TAs need some preparation. Graduate students, that's not really what they're taught to do. So mm-hmm. our office spends time training and consulting with TAs and faculty about first-year student teaching and learning kind of issues. That's a good point because first-year students are not only freshmen, as we would used to say, right. but they're also transfer students who yes. may be coming from other schools yep. who are juniors or seniors. Many transfer students, and that's a very unique population with some of the same needs as first-year freshmen and some not. I mean, transfer students have some experience, but they also largely come from much smaller schools, and this is a big shock in a lot of ways. They have to unlearn things and relearn things, and the social integration is particularly challenging for transfer students. When they come in as a sophomore or junior, a lot of people have already established their friend groups. They don't have the same experience in the dorms. And Ah. so they find that making friends and really getting integrated socially is harder than they thought it would be. So we do things to sort of address all of that. So it's a whole first-year initiative with some programming aspects, some courses, as well as indirect training and preparation of others who work with the first-year experience. Excellent. I wish I could have had that one-credit course. That would have been really helpful. Yeah, the students really like it. Sometimes it's difficult to sell it to them because they think it's some kind of remedial thing or I don't need that. And But we have a whole wide variety of students that take it and they really have some interesting experience. Another big theme of the course is diversity and having them begin to have some of their first conversations about diversity and difference and privilege. And for some students, that's um, honestly the first time they've really thought about some of those issues in a way broader than don't be racist, you know, which is kind of what they're trying to high school. <laughs> you know, so we try to dig in a little deeper to that, and um, it's another theme of the course. I think that's really important. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, Ren Singer, Center for First Year Experience Director, thank you so much for yeah, coming in. Yeah, thanks for having thank me. You. It was thank fun. You. Ren, thanks so very much for having us, and we'll be right back with more Do It Live. But first, a very important message from your local station. Black bears weigh between two and 500 pounds. Brown bears weigh between 300 and over 1,000 pounds. A black bear will have a straighter shoulder rump line, while a brown bear, more properly known as a grizzly, will have a characteristically large hump on its back above its shoulders. Black bears run away from you. Brown bears run at you. If you encounter a bear, remain calm and avoid sudden movements. Give the bear plenty of room, allowing it to continue its activities undisturbed. If you spot a bear and the bear is unaware of you, detour quickly and quietly away. Never run from a bear. Climbing a tree to avoid bears is popular advice, but all black bears, all grizzly cubs, and some adult grizzlies can climb trees. When attacked by a bear, simply lie still on the ground and cover your face and head with your hands. When the bear is finished batting you around and mauling you, contact the U.S. Forest Service. This message brought to you by the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company and 91.7 FM WSUM Madison. most connected radio show on the planet and we're here talking about soar incoming students 
and all of the resources available to them. And joining us, we have a sore expert, but she also happens to be one of our co-hosts, Sandy Cyberlick. How you doing, Sandy? I'm great. How are you doing, Adam? Hey, great. So we have to we have to do the three disclaimers. Yeah, here. before we go too much farther, we should probably disclaim, disclaim everything we've said. <laughs> we've already said. So, Ty, do you want to go through our three disclaimers? I will, and I will do it in three accents of your choice. Oh, great. So, cho- uh, choose an accent. Well, let's start with the British guy. Did you want high British or Cockney? Because I all right, Cockney. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of WSM, the University of Wisconsin Madison, or his Board of Regents. Excellent. Governor. Okay. Uh, second one's sec- up to you. Second one? We'll do Arnold, maybe. Products and services provided by the Division of Information Technology, aka Do It, and other, in- other university departments, as well as drawings and giveaways, may only be available to students, faculty, and staff, or those currently affiliated with UW Madison. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then last one. Do you have like some Northern European thing? <laughs> I could do German. Okay. Participants of this broadcast may offer opinions, recommendations. However, they do not endorse nor has any consideration been provided on behalf of the products or services discussed. And all accents are property of the <laughs> <laughs> particular owner. That's right. Uh, and, and we and we respect and love everybody. <laughs> Diversity. Diversity. Yay. Great. And um, so we are the Do It Live show. (laughs) Still. We're still the Do It Live show. It's crazy. But so we wanted to talk a little bit about how Do It gets involved with SOAR. And uh, there's a lot of different stuff that we support. Right, Sandy? I mean, we we help with the net IDs and email and all that sort of stuff. We do. And uh, one of the things that we like to remind people is that Students don't necessarily have to come to campus with a computer because we actually offer laptop checkout all around campus at various locations. Mm-hmm. And you can check all those out from our website. And we actually will help you if you do decide you need to get a computer, we'll help you buy a computer, whether you buy it from us or whether you buy it from someone else. And once you have the computer, we will help you support set it up and support it through the help desk. Yeah, that's right. We should mention, too, that you know if you don't want to buy a computer and you want to rent out a computer for long term, like a semester, uh, the Do It Help Desk at 1210 West Staten Street rents out laptops for pretty good, you know, pretty good price for a rental for an entire semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could, you, so, I mean, if you want to do a long term rental, come to the Do It Help Desk at 1210 West Staten Street. The lovely Teresa will pop out and give you a computer. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of the rentals myself. Yeah. I'm in charge of the rental program, actually. Hey. Fantastic. 1210 West Staten Street, so... <laughs> yep. Uh, come down and check out our laptops if you need one. Otherwise, I mean, you have all your options right there. It's That's what's wonderful about our, the 1210 West Staten Street location is you can check out the tech store for buying laptops or buying any other accessories you need for laptops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can stop over at the help desk if you need any advice with your laptop. You can check it in for repair if you need to. You can take classes there. Yep. And in the meantime, if your computer is in for service, we do have those rental laptops available. So... Mm-hmm. I, I like to consider us a one-stop shop. If you need a, a you need a computer, you can walk out of there with one. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned the classes. We actually have lots of free classes that are available to students through our software training for students. And that's a, a free service that's offered to anybody who's currently enrolled in classes at UW-Madison. Correct. And if someone does buy a computer, the one main thing that we stress 
is that they can get great deals on software if they choose to come to either to the store or go online to um, the tech store website and yeah. access the WISC system. Yeah, we were talking with Warren Robarts from the WISC software catalog a couple weeks ago, and I work at the tech store, and we have literally up to 80% off of retail price on certain pieces of software. So if you need Microsoft Office, if you need anything in the Adobe suite, we have really great prices. And if you need other software too, academic discounts are at least half on pretty much everything and, and well worth taking advantage of. And we do have Apple and Dell machines. That's what we carry in the store. Although you don't have to get a computer from us. You could bring your own. But if you bring your own computer, there are some things you should know. Right, Sandy? Right. Um, you should know that you can get a free security CD from um, any of our locations. And that will, once you install that, you'll be protected from many of the viruses. And um, there's also, I believe, some ad. Um, yeah. Adware, spyware, protection. Correct. Yep. Um, the other thing that you can do if you're a new student or a transfer student is you can attend one of the free one-hour orientations this fall. So when you come to campus, you can go to the webs, go to our website, which is www.doit.wisc.edu/students, and there's a section for new students, and that will tell you all about these one-hour orientations that will tell you about the technology available to you. Yeah, if you're a student or a parent listening and you want to find out all the stuff that Doit is helping with throughout all of your students' educational process here, uh, you should go to that website, doit.wist.edu slash students, and it's a laundry list of a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, and I'm sure a lot more stuff that we're not mentioning, too. And, <laughs> yes, and we should mention that we do also have other locations for our help desk, which are at 800 Langdon Street in the Memorial Union. You can drop off your computer if you're having a problem with it there. And then out at HSLC, right next to the University Hospital at 750 Highland Ave, you can find our satellite help desk and tech store location out there. We have a smaller tech store and a help desk drop-off point and, and assistance point there as well. And we were just out there a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, if you want to feel like you're... If you want to feel like you're out there, you could download our podcasts. You yep. can you know, shop for listen clothes to there. Yeah. yeah. You guys did shop for clothes yes, there. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and conveniently nearby, there is lovely make-your-own smoothie milkshake. Oh, my gosh. Soft-serve goodness. Yeah. Fabulous milkshake um, For everybody machine. out there Shout out to the hospital. You guys yeah. are blessed. <laughs> for anybody out there who, who decides to go out to our uh, satellite help desk out at the HSLC, uh, uh, in the hospital, and give you. I'm gonna give you Ty's secret shake recipe right here on the radio. <laughs> um, all right, here's what you do: you do root beer, and then you open it for half. So you do half root beer, and then you do half cherry. You suddenly have a cherry root beer shake. Ooh, Ooh that sounds yeah. fabulous. You can also, you know, do raspberry if you want to do that too. So, are there some other recommendations that we have in general for folks who have a computer on campus in terms of security and data stuff? Well, actually, first is physical security, because if your dorm room door is open and your laptop is sitting on your desk and you don't have it locked down with one of the cable locks that we and other places sell for a min nominal fee, mm -hmm. it may walk away. Yeah. And that's the this other thing. This is th true at the libraries as well. Exactly. In, in the computer if, labs. If, it's like your purse, if you're it, a lady. I would say the better analogy is it's like your bike. You don't leave your bike outside without a lock on it. Yeah. And think about how much more expensive your computer is and how much more valuable in terms of the data that's oh. on it for you and than your bike. Irreplaceable data. Exactly. And, and not only does it not only is it expensive, but unlike your bike, 
a lot of the computers that are out there look very, very similar. You know, everyone else has a Mac around you. They all look exactly the same unless you have stickers on it or you've etched your name or whatever on the top of it. So if someone grabs your Mac, you can't just look around and be like, that guy, he took my, my Mac because it could be his Mac. So you can, you know, get cases with different colors for your computer. You can put stickers. That's the new hot thing is to put stickers all over your computer. To oh, yeah. Some, side, make some it... sort of an ID tag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can password protect your computer so that it actually times out and it shuts down and somebody needs mm-hmm. a password to access it, which is not a big deal. Right. That's, that's good for if someone's trying to get at your data, but if they just want your machine to, you know, sell in the... Yeah. Yeah. Black market or whatever. So that's why you need a backup. And small hard drives are inexpensive, and you can buy one at the tech store yeah. at 1210 West Staten Street. So at the tech store, we do have all of these things available. We're not saying you have to buy it from us, but we have external hard drives. We have locks. Actually, we have a great thing called the laptop bundle, which includes a laptop lock, right. a case, a USB cable, an Ethernet cable, security CD, all that stuff bundled together, and that's kind of a, a easy thing to take, and that sort of covers most of the bases that you need. But an external hard drive to back up all of your data on is not something that comes in there, and that's something that we really do recommend to folks. And if you really can't get an external hard drive, you can use my web space to back up your files in the cloud. Or flash drive, or CDs or DVDs, you can burn that. Or There's also even, a, maybe you're going to talk Dropbox? Yeah, Dropbox. Dropbox. There's also right? a wonderful service out there called Dropbox. Just go to, uh, I think it's just dropbox.com, or type in Dropbox into Google. It's basically just a folder that lives on your hard drive on your desktop somewhere, and if you drag files into that folder, they're instantly uploaded to the cloud. You do not have to worry about them being deleted ever, and you get a you get a gig of free storage space. And if you're a student, you get two gigs of free storage space. And then it's available on your phone, on your That's iPad, available everywhere. Yep. Yeah, and that's sort of the new thing is the cloud services. Amazon's also doing this. And, and other folks as well are giving out storage. And it's great, and it's nice to have it available anywhere. I kind of like having my data somewhere where I can physically touch it. That's I mean, true. As, oh, of course, but, but that's why you should have multiple backups. Exactly. That certainly it, doesn't hurt. And, w- and I've said it many times this semester. I'll say it again. If you don't have at least two backups of your data, you don't have enough of right. them. Right. Let's be perfectly clear to all students out there, and anyone actually out there that is listening, you need to back up your data. Everyone's hard drive fails eventually it's the last quote unquote it's it's really like the last quote unquote moving part it's it's the most the mechanic machine. most it's, mechanically exactly. inclined part in your computer because it's basically a spinning disk with it spins at 5400 rpm or 7200 7, rpm most of them are 7200 all the time while your computer is on yeah and imagine that you need a backup you i don't care if it's flash drives i don't care if it's cloud but you should have a backup we had a, a person come into the to the walk-in help desk whose uh, hard drive was failing and we had her we recommended that she back up her hard drive and uh, she f- didn't and two weeks later she brought it back in turns out she had five years of doctoral <sighs> dissertation research and her final thesis on the hard drive, which she was defending in China in a week. And it was gone. She had never backed it up once. Ouch. So, back up your data. Yeah. And on that note, uh, we're going to back up on out of here. <laughs> That's great. Because we are out of time, unfortunately. Yes, the yes, the we hour are. again has flown by. Sandy, thank you so much for coming in and lending your expertise. It was my pleasure. Hey, that's great. So um, we've got some other folks we'd like to thank. Uh, Ren, Ren Singer was in the studio with us, and she was great as well. Awesome. Yes, indeed. And Teresa had fabulous news, as always. Of course. <laughs>
And we'd also like to thank our management team at the Division of Information Technology, Perry Brunelli, Ryan Hansen, Edward Hoover, Brian Kister, Jack Leepak, Ty Leto, Neil Mack, Howie Mead, Mark Nessel, Brian Rust, and Bill Zimmerman. The Director of User Services is Kathy O'Brien. Dewitt's Chief Operating Officer is John Krogman. And our Interim CIO and Vice Provost for Information Technology is Joanne Berg. Today's broadcast was produced by Ty Christian, Sandy Steiberlich, and Adam Wiesenfarth. Our associate producers are Laura Grady, Teresa Saldana, and Nathan Cohen, with assistance from Dan Collins, Matthew Siriani, and the Neats, Harrison Weber, and Zastro. Our on-air producer and director of e-communications is Matt Rockwell, and our theme music is from Conan. The executive producer of Do It Live is Jesse LeGrew. Next week, it's Source Show number two, Electric Boogaloo. We'll be talking about the UW-Madison Parent Program and how to manage the upcoming changes in your lives. Until then, you can find us online at www.doit.wist.edu slash radio, and we'll see you next week on 91.7 FM, Thursday at 2. Have a good one. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was.